Hey everybody, this is Nikki Lucas from the Bible Savvy Podcast. Hey, I've got a special announcement for you. This coming weekend, August 26th and 27th, we are going to be recording a live episode of the Bible Savvy Podcast at Christ Community Church. So find one of our uh, five campuses and join us. It's going to be a great time. Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan, but before we do, guys, I've got another question for you. What two animals would you like to switch the sounds they make? Oh, Yes. All right, but I have I have a question. I'm gonna play Clayton here for a second. Oh, this isn't like this isn't like qualifications. Changing the question as much as I just need some information. What birds talk the best? Is it parrots, macaws, cockatiels? It's oh, I don't know. It's the blue and yellow ones, the macaws. I think. Okay, so we'll we'll trust that Nikki is right, and I will go with macaw. I would love it. If all of the fish in my fish tank oh my could gosh. talk like <laughs> oh my a macaw. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. That's a good one. That would be so entertaining to hear your fish talk. Oh, and man. And how much it would freak out people because oh my, my fish gosh. tank is in the front room of my house. So people would walk through the front door and all of a sudden the fish would start talking to them. Yeah, that would be pretty good. So my answer is I would like to switch out macaws with my fish. What's really interesting is I actually thought about a macaw, like switching out a dog to have like a macaw bark, but they do that already. They mimic other animals. A, a dog sounds. mimics no, other animals? No, a, a macaw will, will mimic a dog. Like oh, it, will it mimic could bark. dog. Yeah, it could oh, bark. But, but I was like, I've That's seen dogs talk. Yeah, like, like like an Air Bud or something, <laughs> like a like a Air kids movie. Bud. They just make noises. <laughs> Come on, yeah. man, you watch Bluey. <laughs> that's true. That's uh, true. No, like haven't you ever seen videos of dogs mimicking human voices uh-huh. and talking? Like yeah. I don't think they know they're talking. Do birds know they're talking when they're talking? No. No. Well, yeah, I, I, do they, they have, have any sense that they're communicating a message? No, I don't think they know the language. It, 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 I think they just know that they're imitating a sound yeah, that others make, something. and so it's meaningful in the sense of like you made that sound, I made that sound. So mm-hmm. when Polly wants a cracker, does Polly actually know think she's crack- getting a cracker? Oh, see, that's interesting because Polly could, he does could, could learn that. that if that, I say cracker, I get this a, thing a, that I like a to boy's eat. Boy's name or a girl's name? I, have no I don't idea. know. You but just they, talk it in a different space. Polly, Polly knows that that they're getting a cracker. Um, I, I, I'm having a hard time. I'm just thinking of like one animal where I think it would be funny if that, that sound came someplace else. It's sort of like the fish talking. It's not really about the macaw. It's about the fish. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking about like, uh, mostly I'm thinking of like switching like a bigger animal and a little animal of the same type, like a, like a lion and a cat. You know what I mean? It's not really about the lion meowing. It's like the cat roaring or like a little bird that suddenly sounds like a turkey or something like that. Like that kind of thing would be funny because unexpected or whatever. But I don't know. I just read a book about uh, uh, animal senses. It was it was breathtaking. It was amazing about because because we have different ranges of like sounds that we can hear. And this was talking about like the different senses and sounds that they could hear. There are insects that tap their legs to send signals to other insects that it's not audible. Like if you put a microphone on a plant and then you amplify the, the, the frequencies that they're doing. You can catch the messages that are being sent by tree hoppers to other tree hoppers. It's incredible. Like or like a- mice. Mice make noises higher than we can hear. And if you actually like find out what they, what they sound like, they, they're singing like birds. Mice sing like birds. But we can't hear it. It's amazing. This it's is, amazing. This anyway. is such a Clayton question. 
This is great. Well, <laughs> I didn't think it was a Clayton question, but somehow <laughs> it, it turned a into question. a Clayton question. Sorry. Uh, go, go ahead, Nikki. Okay, so do you guys know what a sandhill crane sounds like? Have you ever I, heard them? I see them outside. They, they come here by the church, but yeah. I don't remember ever hearing them. So I secretly think that they're pterodactyls, but um, <laughs> I love the way that they sound. So I would want to switch uh, the sound of a sandhill crane with like a cat, because here's why. So the sound of a sandhill crane sounds kind of creepy. So when you're hearing it far off in the distance and they're always in my neighborhood, I'm like, what is that sound? And I know what it is, but it creeps me out every time. And I think cats are creepy. So I think if it had that sound, it would be like the most ominous looking creature ever. Because they're mischievous. They're mischievous. I can't say that word. I don't know. That was what I thought of. Mischievous. 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 Uh, I almost texted you this morning to ask if you have a cat. I don't. Because I have, and I know you don't have I cats, don't, right? I know Clayton didn't have cats. I'm allergic to cats. I don't I like I grew them. a catnip plant in my backyard because <laughs> my daughter has a cat. That lives, my daughter lives in Cincinnati, and I harvested it recently and made her a ginormous bag of catnip. So that cat owes me big. <laughs> but anyway. I mean, and if it had a, if it was able to, you know, sound like a sandhill crane, then I might like hang out with it, but at a distance because I can't touch it or anything. And if the cat was on cat, like catnip, on catnip at the same time. So if the cat was high, <laughs> talking like a crane, this could be this pretty entertaining. It would be entertaining. I think it this would, would be give the talking fish a run for its money. It would be. All right, Clayton, what are we talking about All today? Right. We are in the book of Matthew. We are in Matthew chapter 22. Let's start with a little bit of context here. Uh, this is towards the end of the story of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And Jesus has come into Jerusalem. So this is kind of where it all comes to a head here. Uh, a couple of famous stories have just come up. Uh, the Palm Sunday story where Jesus rides in to Jerusalem on a donkey and pe- the people proclaim him king. And then he has gone into the temple and he has cleared the temple, uh, kind of making a big protest, big scene there, kind of flipping over tables and things like that, stopping the the kind of things that are going on in the temple. And those two actions are essentially saying, all right, it's it's time to go because it's he's been proclaimed the king and he's saying, I'm the Lord of the temple here. And so that's leading to a whole lot of people saying, we got to deal with Jesus. So the, the series of conversations that we're in the middle of is a bunch of people coming to Jesus, trying to trip him up. They're trying to put him into a place where he says something, where he gets in trouble and they can catch him. And so different groups of people are coming up to him saying, but what about this? What about that? What do you think about this? This is one of those instances. So we're going to start reading in verse 15 and go to verse 22. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. All right, let's start with the O in comma, which is observations. What do you guys see in this passage? 
Have we had anybody come and, and try to like trip Jesus up by like flattering him yet? Have we had that? Because these guys are really trying to like butter him up. Like, teacher, you're a man of integrity and you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed. You know, you don't pay attention to other people. So tell us, what's your opinion? Yeah, like, they're, they're, they're definitely they're what? definitely buttering him up to get him, you know. Yeah, trying to catch him off guard, slaying on all this excessive praise. Which is ironic, because if he doesn't really care about people's opinions, totally. why would they why think would that he... works? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I noticed. It's a, that's a an interesting way to start, including what you just said. Why would he even care? In verse 18, it says, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent, if I'm not mistaken, there are several places in the Gospels where it tells us that Jesus knew what people were thinking or what their motivation was. And so this tells us something about the nature of God, right? And when we're doing observations and we're asking ourselves, what what do we see here? What are truths about God? What we see here is Jesus can see beyond the outward into the inward I notice a lot of different uh, cultural references here. So you've got the Pharisees that we encounter a lot, but they're a group of people from that that time and place. And then there's the Herodians, which is not one that comes up very often. And then there's the imperial tax, there's Caesar. It's really clear that there's a lot of like cultural things going on. Like, who are these groups of people? Why is this question controversial? What's going on? Kind of those things. That's, again, as always, where a good study Bible helps with some of those kinds of things. Um, I certainly think that the idea of the taxes and Caesar is really important. Obviously, it's kind of the, the point of the question. But it's important to remember that the people of Israel at this time are under Roman occupation. So uh, if you're a Jew in Israel, the big hot question is, how do you interact with this government that's kind of come in from the outside that we don't like, that don't believe what we believe? And they're imposing, they're taking our taxes, they're doing all sorts of things we don't like. Do we cooperate with that? Do we pay the taxes? Do we uh, give them what they're asking for? Or do we resist in some way? And so there's that, that tension there. And either way Jesus answers, someone in that culture is going to be upset at him. If he says, don't pay it, then all of a sudden you've got, it looks like he's rebelling against the Romans. If he says, pay it, then the people who are saying, but that's compromise or you're kind of you know funding the bad guys, they're going to say, you know, look, Jesus isn't a good Jewish teacher. And so there's this this tension between um, which answer he can give. He, he, it's a lose-lose situation, basically. Yeah, he give, they give him a false choice, right? Either be anti-Rome or pro-Rome. Yeah, and neither of, the, neither of those puts you in a good place with his, his world. And then speaking of the, the, that specific tax, it says an imperial tax. There's a, like a footnote here that says like a special tax levied on subject peoples, not on Roman citizens. So is this like on Jewish people, like on just whoever just wasn't a Roman citizen? Yeah. So they're, they're not a lot of people are actually Roman citizens. So proportionally in the empire, it's not a lot of people. So you have to remember like Rome starts in Italy but spreads across most of the Mediterranean world and some of the Middle East. And most of those people are, are just conquered people. They might have uh, a local king who's kind of from their people. That's kind of how, like Herod, who's in charge uh, in, in Israel. But they've got some Roman person over them. And so those groups of people aren't necessarily citizens. Some of them occasionally in different places and certain circumstances, but it's a small minority of people. Yeah, it always helps me to think of them as territories, as the Roman 
empire expands. They just take over territories and they allow those people to have their own culture and their own religions uh, and live life the way they live insofar as it doesn't go against Roman culture Mm. and what the Roman Empire is trying to impose. And so it's a dance. Yeah, and so the the tax is essentially, hey, you are now a Roman territory, which means you're going to pay taxes to the Roman Empire because we do a lot of things to your benefit. <laughs> which is the the party line. I mean, that Well, they... that's the party line for any <laughs> any applied tax, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. What else? Uh, I think there's just the the fact that people were amazed by the comment that Jesus made, uh, give to Caesar what is his and give to God what is God. Um and so they left him and went away. Like, you're like, well, we can't trick this guy. We're done. For now, yeah. I guess. Well, right? Yeah, and you're, you're getting the, the series of showdowns where people try to best Jesus. And apparently they're like, well, it's not us this time, mm-hmm. right? Like, they're, they're, they're like, all right, we'll come back. One of my observations is a wondering what it would be like if I talked to people the way that Jesus talked to people. <laughs> Now, I certainly don't presume to have the insight, the perfect insight that Jesus has, right? So every every time in the Gospels when it says Jesus knew their heart or Jesus knew their motivation, he was always right. Yeah. So I don't presume to have that level of insight into, you know, people's motivations and what they're thinking. But imagine a scenario where you do, like you know where someone's coming from and you, <laughs> you hypocrite. Or when Jesus says to Peter, you don't have in mind the things of God. Get behind me, Satan, right? Like, yeah. sometimes he says stuff, and I wonder, if you called stuff out like that, I wonder what would happen in that way. It'd be, it'd be really hard to get away with it. Or, or, or you'd just end up alienating people, which I, guess, I suppose happens here. Well, <laughs> they, yeah, right? so, but, but obviously, Jesus doesn't mind. He's, 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 in some sense, revealing what's really going on. You know, so there's, there's something about Jesus where the reaction that people have to him suddenly shows what what's really going on inside. It's like, it, he says it sometimes. He's like, I came, I came to make a dividing line. Mm-hmm. Like I came to put, put people either here or there. And part of what Jesus says, even today is someone who you've got to make a choice. Which, which side of this do you fall? There's no neutral with him. And so in some ways he engages with people knowing that's what he's doing. But you're right. Like if we we're supposed to imitate Jesus, do I imitate him this directly? You know? <laughs> I, I'm uh, curious about the um, the actual interaction about the coin. So Jesus, the, his move is this. He's like, all right, show me one of the coins because there were special coins you needed to use their currency, you know, like the Roman currency in order to pay the tax. And so the, he says, let's examine the coin. And, and so he looks on one side and there is an image of Caesar. And on the other side, there's an inscription. And I, I don't have my study Bible in front of me to see if it actually has the inscription, but I've, I've seen a few examples of the kinds of inscriptions I have. But it'll often say something like, um, you know, Lord and Savior. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a, there's, a, there's a claim about who this Caesar is or the kind of empire he has. Well, you know, it's going to bring peace or that sort of thing. And so the coins were, in fact, like imperial propaganda. They were saying something. I mean, even if you look at our coins, they say something about American values, you know, depending on what you put on the coins. Um so he, Jesus looks at that and says, all right, look, Caesar put his face and his name all over this. If, this, if he's claiming this thing, go ahead and give it to him. But give to God what's God's. And there's something suggestive about the fact that he uses the word image. Because um, if, you know, we, we read the Bible and we talk about this a lot, like the image of God was placed on humanity. So 
Jesus is saying, look, if Caesar put his image on a coin, give him a coin. That's fine. But where did God put his image? He put it on you, on your life, all of you, the deepest parts of you. And so that's what belongs to God. And so there's something um, evasive, but also like um, insightful about the, the answer that Jesus gives of saying, you know what? Giving Caesar what he put his image on is just fine because you know what? God put his image on some things and Caesar can't take those. Yeah, it's just interesting contrast, too, because it says here the inscription in Latin is Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. Yeah. So it's just yeah, like... Son of God. Son of God. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, okay. Yeah, so in the Roman Empire, for Jesus to claim lordship, if you're going to say Jesus is Lord, you are also saying the opposite thing, which is Caesar is not, is not right. yes, my lord. And that's what that's the that's the bait of this question. Yeah, and and you actually see this tension all through the New Testament. When we read the Book of Acts, you, they would go into places, and it would be like, "Are they rebelling? Are they causing trouble?" Well, a lot of outsiders suspected they were because they were saying, "We've we've got a king, and it's not it's not Caesar." Um, and yet, there were also people who didn't actually like the early Christians didn't go and cause riots. There was reactions to them. Uh, they didn't. They weren't subversive. And yet they didn't bow the knee. There was this weird tension of being like kind of good citizens, but also kind of out of sync. It was, and it kind of comes from this. Just had a, th- a thought here that's not particular to this text, but since we're, we're talking about this, I'll, I'll share it. When Jesus is born, Herod is threatened, right? Because he knows that there's promises of a coming Messiah, some king-like figure, and since Herod is the ruler over that territory of the Jewish people, he's threatened. So now we're getting to the end of the story here, and the the people who are in power, the threat has moved from just the person that's overseeing the Jewish territory to the entire Roman Empire is now threatened by this man. Yeah. Well, and you see, you even see that in the name, the Herodians there at the top. This is the group of people who supported uh, Herod's dynasty. It's not the same Herod as when Jesus was born. It's, you know, sons and relatives and whatever. Um, But these are the people who are like, you know, it really serves us well if the Romans are happy with us because they're letting our family or, you know, the family we support. These aren't necessarily Herod's family, but they're people's supporters. Like they're letting our guy stay in power. So don't tick off the Romans. But if we can get Jesus to tick off the Romans, well, then we can come in, you know, take get rid of him or whatever. So there's like vested interest in those things in keeping their power. All right, let's move on to one of the M's in comma. Uh, Let's do meditation first. And we're going to use Jesus's line here as our uh, passage to thoughtfully pray about. And it says this, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Give you 45 seconds. All right, let's talk about the other M in common, which is message. What message did you guys get out of this? 
That sound means it's time for your comma tip of the week. Try it for one week. Try what? Glad you asked. Try actually writing down a one-sentence message from your daily Bible reading. Try it for five straight days. Go ahead, I dare you. Actually write it down. After five straight days, look at your five sentences and see if it makes a difference. We bet it will. If it doesn't, it's probably Nikki's fault. And this has been your comma tip of the week. Wow. Oh, man. Okay. Okay, sorry, everybody. <laughs> Nikki, why don't we start with yeah, your Yeah, I'll start then. with my message. Um, let's see here. So I, uh, I latched on to uh, just how the Herodians approached Jesus, and I said, avoid flattery to further your interests. My message is, Jesus knows me from the inside out. Uh, my message, I don't know if it's pithy enough, but uh, it's, it's this idea that nations and rulers, they tend to make themselves into saviors and gods, but don't give yourself to them. All right, let's talk about the A in comma, which is application. What do we do in response to this? Yeah, so my application based on my message is uh, excessive and insincere praise will undermine your trust and relationships. So if you're only seeking after what people can do for you or what you can get out of people, um, over time they're going to see through your words. So you check your motives before you say something, you do something, um, and make sure is it honest, is it good, is it something that you, uh, you won't be ashamed of in the end. All right. I think my application, based on my message, which, and my message is that Jesus knows me from the inside out. If you think about how we present to others and you wonder, like, if someone really knew everything I think and everything that's going on on the inside of me, would they really like me? And then I think about Jesus, who knows everything about us. He knows stuff about us that we don't even know. We're not even 100% sure of all of our mixed motivations on things, but he does. And he loves us, mm-hmm. right? So the the freedom and the joy of that to embrace the fact that we serve a God who both knows everything about us, all of the stuff that other people don't know and the stuff that we don't even fully know about ourselves, God knows and he loves us fully is a very freeing thought. So I don't have to pretend. I can just be free and joyful in that reality. Yeah, so my message is that uh, nations and rulers, they tend to move into the category of, or try to put themselves in the category of saviors or gods. They they claim more than they should, um, and that, that tends to happen. You can look over history, it happens. And so we've got to, in some ways, know that we can't give ourselves over to that. Um, and so my application is, is, in some ways, to live like an expat, like someone who someone who is in a foreign country where you do care about the well-being and that things go well in the country that you're living in because you're a resident there. It affects you. It affects people that you care about. You care about the people, you know, that you've, you know, come in contact with. And yet there's a part of you that says, this is not my home. This is not my, you know, game that I'm playing here. The power dynamics here are not the ones that are most important to me. And so there is a little bit of distance. There's like an investment because you care and you're present, but there's also a distance that says, I don't have to ride the wave of those things. And so I think when it comes to us in terms of looking at the things that go on in the countries of our world, um, in our own country of saying, you know what? I care that things go well. I care that things uh, are good for people. Um, but in some ways I know there's a kingdom that's greater and different. And I give my allegiance to that. I give my heart to that. Uh, and the ups and downs of how you know things are going 
are not uh, the thing that drive me or the thing that gets my uh, greatest, you know, investment and those sorts of things. So that that's a general application, but in some ways it says put a little distance between you and government politics, those sorts of things. Um, don't make it your God. Don't make it your savior. All right. There you have it, friends. Thanks for listening this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Plan. In the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week. Is that a cat? (laughs) 